You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. We're going to turn back a little bit today to 50 A.D. The church had just been born. Paul, the apostle, was spreading the gospel story of Jesus throughout Asia Minor. He'd been in places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and then he'd come to Athens, and he had been invited by the Supreme Council of Athens to come and speak to them on a little outcropping below the Acropolis called Mars Hill. And when he arrived to this group of leaders in probably what was maybe the most intellectually and philosophically sophisticated city on the planet at that time, he had the opportunity to get on the mic. And when Paul got the opportunity among this leading council of Athens to be on the mic for a moment, when they gave him the floor and said, we've heard you've been teaching in the synagogues and in the marketplace, and people are buzzing around about what you've been saying. So tell us, what have you come to say? Paul did something miraculous, and he preached something that's close to about a one minute and 46 second sermon. I say miraculous because uh, that's miraculous and you can laugh or uh, amen, whichever you want to do would be accepted. But isn't that incredible that he preaches this message that's very succinct and to the point, but so powerful. Listen to his message. He says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Amen. End of sermon. Possibly the greatest sermon of all time. And to the backdrop of Athens where so much of what we've talked about the last few weeks was on the mic, Paul preaches this phenomenal gospel story, short, succinct, and to the point, 
but encapsulating everything we're celebrating today. A message preached in the midst of an environment where for sure opinion was on the mic. We talked about that last week. It says a few verses above, uh, if you'll notice in verse 21, that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So there's a climate of, well, what do you think? 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 So we know opinion was on the mic, but we also know that fear was on the mic. How do we know this? Because he says, when I came into your town, I saw all these idols, but then I saw an idol with the inscription to an unknown God. So you were concerned about covering your bases and making sure if there was a God that you didn't know about, that you wanted to make sure that that God was appeased as well. So you just had sort of like a catch-all idol to an unknown God because you were afraid that maybe you had missed something in the first place. So fear somehow had got on the mic. But the main thing on the mic in Athens is what's on the mic today. And that is that when Paul stood up to speak, he stood up to speak into an atmosphere, an ocean, if you will, of religion. He says when he comes into this story, in the very first part of the paragraph, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so when he starts his message, he says, I see that in every way you are very religious. In other words, in Athens, in the moment, religion was very much on the mic. These people had idols for days. They had every God that they knew about represented. And what they were showing was that there was an insatiable hunger within them to discover and acknowledge and worship something greater and more powerful outside of them. And what they were doing was affirming what we all know. And that is that the ocean tide of religion has swept onto every shore among all men and women everywhere on planet earth. And in their situation, the mixture of opinion and fear and religion had created a vortex that was taking everybody down. I don't know. I'm looking for the right God, but there's so many different opinions and so many different gods and so many different ways to go and so many different people on the mic. And we're not even sure if we've got all our bases covered yet. Imagine being in that climate. And then Paul arrives with this clarion message of the story of Jesus. I want you to know, just a little footnote here, that we're talking about 50 AD, almost 2,000 years ago, Athens, Rome, these cities of power, these cities were also filled with religion. And if you dial it back 2,000 years from there, you're going to discover that those cities were filled with religion. And if you dial it back 2,000 years from there, you're going to find out that those cities were filled with religion. So when somebody tells you, hey, religion's just a modern invention of man to try to control people. No, religion's been here since day one. You know why? Because God is the one, this message says, who gave life and breath to all of us so that we might seek after him and reach for him and find him because he's not far from any one of us. Therefore, 
therefore, there is a hunger and a longing inside of every single one of us to discover something or someone that is greater than us. And there is a need in every one of us to give worship and honor to something that is greater and more powerful than every one of us. And that something is driving people today all around the world. And everywhere you go on planet Earth, religion is on the mic. I always think back to being in Bangkok, Thailand, and somewhere about five in the afternoon, I was in a taxi. It was in the summer. It was blazing hot. Taxi didn't have AC, the windows were down and I was sitting here stuck in traffic and I couldn't even see the traffic light ahead. The cars were just all jammed together and um, a lot of motorcycles were kind of cruising around in and out of the traffic and this one, uh, something between a moped and a motorcycle came kind of cruising up between us. But the car next to us had gotten so close to us that as the motorcycle got right beside the taxi, he couldn't go anymore. So the guy stops and when he stops, literally this young man and what I assume is maybe his girlfriend, this young man and this young girl, I mean, I could have reached out the window and tapped both of them on the shoulder. That's how close they were to me. And they looked like passion. And I just lit up immediately. And I thought, man, these kids could be at passion. They're like 20 years old or 21 years old. And this is the generation that we're giving our lives for. And this is a generation we want to see rise up and call on the name of Jesus and make him famous in their life. And I'm just envisioning these kids in Bangkok being a part of the passion movement around the world. And as I'm thinking this in my mind, no kidding, the the girl on the back of the motorcycle turns and looks across the taxi that I'm sitting in. And when she does, she puts her hands together on the back of the motorcycle and her complexion completely changes into a sense of worship and reverence. And she bows her head and closes her eyes and has a moment of of prayer or adoration. I, I don't know what was going on in her heart. Lasts for 30 seconds or a minute or so. And then she opens her eyes. The traffic starts to move. The cars make just enough space and the motorcycle takes off. And before the taxi goes, I'm like, what What happened? And I look over and just to the right on this side of the road is one of the famous temples of this city. And I want to see more, even though I've been in several like it. And I find my way back there the next day and I go in and of course there's a huge um, statue idol in the middle of this temple. People have been bringing offerings all day long. Fruit and bowls of rice and flowers, gifts to this idol. And in a moment in recognition, a girl that our movement is believing can live for the fame of Jesus has got religion on the mic. And if we think about it, the whole world does. And not just the ones we think about, the ones that are like atheism, which is also a religion, that I'm good without God, which is also a religion, that I've got my two or three idols and I'm good. I've got my fame and I've got my pleasure and I've got my riches and that's kind of where I'm, I'm putting my hope and trust and I'm good. Or the just I've got my pregame ritual or my uh, superstitions. You know, somebody's got their 
uh, lucky Kansas City Chiefs socks on somewhere in America today, and they really do believe it's going to make a difference somewhere in the process tonight. And somewhere along the way, we all get sucked into this idea that I can possibly do enough to get into a position of favor with God. Religion, whichever one you pick or choose, shares some common tenets with other religions, and they're these. Number one, the goal is ultimately right standing with God. You put whatever words you want around it, but what I think was going on in the heart of that young girl in Bangkok was she wanted peace with God, maybe blessing from God, but probably more than anything, peace with God. So at the top of the list in any system is, I want right standing with God. I want to know that if there is a higher power or there is a God or there is something out there, that we're good. Secondly, every religion is predicated on the good works of man. And that's not to say that that's all bad, because if, uh, even if your, your system is the wrong system, wanting to be kinder or more generous or a better parent or a better neighbor can have a good benefit. But not if that good works is working to the goal of giving you right standing with God. Third, every religion shares this reality that it has a system based on the teachings of those who are dead. Now, that's going to be an important component for us in a moment. Number four, the eternal outcome of following the system is to be determined. In other words, it's uncertain. I, I'm not sure if I'm there yet, but I'm working at it. I'm not sure if I've done enough, but I'm going to do a little bit more. I, I'm uncertain as to where I am in the process, but I'm going to keep on keeping on. And then number five, which is the natural result of that, the motivation to observing the system is the uncertainty. In other words, I don't know if I'm there yet, so I'm going to try a little more. I don't know if I've done enough, so I'm going to do something else. But in the middle of religion, Paul arrives into the uber-religious city of Athens and preaches this amazing gospel-centric message. And the message was the story of Jesus. And, you know, you kind of think we're going to take a big right turn here and Jesus is going to show up and say, man, let's just chunk religion and let's go a whole new way. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus understands that we do need right standing with God. And what Jesus wants for you more than anything is that you have right standing with God. So Jesus came to planet earth, not just to be a good teacher or to do some miracles or to get a book written about him. Jesus came to planet earth solely so that he could give glory to God by providing for you right standing with God. And so he didn't come to just chunk this idea that there's a holy, perfect God and there's a way to get to him. He came to do something more amazing than that. And we see this in the Sermon on the Mount, the most amazing sermon of all time in Matthew chapter five. And I love the way that Jesus comes and I love the way that he steps into the story and opens this up for you and me. Matthew 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
See, Jesus is not showing up going, oh, religion? Yeah, let's get rid of religion. Uh, getting right standing with God, uh, having somehow to make things right with God, let's just get rid of that. He said, no, I'm not coming to abolish that. I'm coming to fulfill that. I'm gonna actually do something miraculous in the process. And then he comes down to the end of this paragraph and he says something that stopped me dead in my tracks when I was about 25 years old. I will never forget this verse hitting me for the very first time. He said, for I tell you the truth that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I grew up in church my whole life and was around the gospel story my whole life. I don't know if I fully got it until I was about mid-20s and a verse like this came crashing into my world. And I think, what is Jesus saying? He's looking at this crowd and he's picking the most religious people in the crowd, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the ones who've turned the Ten Commandments into the lot of commandments, the ones who've taken the 10 things that we couldn't do and turned it into hundreds of things that no one could do. He's got a whole system and all the rituals and all the observances. And he points at these guys and he says, hey, unless you're more righteous than them, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. And a lot of the people in the crowd were like, are you kidding me? I don't, they don't even let me in their church. They won't even walk on my side of the street. They won't even recognize that I'm here. They consider me to be an outcast and not worthy to be a part of what they're a part of. How am I going to be more religious than them? And the dilemma hangs in the tension of Jesus calling you and me up and saying, unless your righteousness is more righteous than the most righteous looking people here, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of God. And then he gives us this little insight and clue. He says, and I didn't come to wipe out the law. I came to fulfill the law. I didn't come to do away with what the prophets have said. I came to fulfill what the prophets have said. So what is this gospel story then? If, if we've seen what religion is, let's look at those same five things from the gospel lens. The gospel meaning good news. What is the good news? Number one, our goal is the same, same as religion. Our goal is right standing with God. And what we call that in scripture is righteousness. We want to get to righteousness. Our righteousness got to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. Somehow we got to be more righteous than the most righteous acting people around. How do we get to that point? And what is righteousness to begin with? So if you dig under that word in the Greek, this is what you're going to get. Righteousness is the verdict of God that says that you are deemed 100% right in the eyes of the Lord. How are you going to get there? If that's the goal, right standing with God, if right standing with God is righteousness, if righteousness is being deemed in the eyes of God 100% worthy to stand in the presence of God, how do we get there? Number two, this is where our paths start going different directions. Our gospel is predicated on the good works of one man, Jesus Christ. Religion predicated on everybody's good works. Our gospel predicated on the good works of one man, Jesus Christ. 
Number three, our gospel based on the teaching of someone who's very much alive. That's what Paul said at the end of that little message in Acts 17. And God gave proof to this man by raising him from the dead. So we have a living leader, a living teacher, a living savior, and someone that we can have a relationship with in this moment right now. Number four, the eternal outcome of those who follow his teachings, that's Jesus' teachings, is secure. In other words, when you lean into the gospel story, you get certainty about your eternity. So that leads to number five then, the motivation to live out good works is certainty and identity. In other words, I'm not gonna do all this good stuff in hopes that it will be enough, I'm going to do all of this good work because I'm already secure in Jesus and because I have a brand new identity in him. So how did this work? He shows us how it works in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, an anchor text for our house, for our movement, and for the gospel story. Notice what it says. This is one of the most powerful things ever said about you, in eternity, maybe the most powerful thing ever said about you. So you've got to get your heart and your mind around this truth and you've got to somehow get it tattooed into your soul so that you can operate out of the reality of this truth. We know from the verses above, it says, if any man is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. So there's something powerful happening in this text, but we see the fulcrum of it in verse 21. And this is what it says. God made him. The him there is Jesus. You get that from the verses above. So I'm just going to put the name there. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. What? So God is entering into the story, understanding that we couldn't do it in and of ourselves. And so he does what none of us can do. And we see this thread all throughout the scripture from beginning to end. Even back in Isaiah, uh, there's that amazing verse that got quoted over and over when I was growing up in church and I never knew how to put it in its full scriptural context. But Isaiah 64 verse five asked the question, how then can we be saved? And it just talks about how God would show mercy and then people would reject him. He would come through again and then people would reject him. He would, he would show kindness and then people would reject him. And finally, the, the prophet says, well, how can we be saved then? I mean, look at us, we're a mess. And then he adds in verse six, the verse that we must have quoted a thousand times growing up in church, for all of our righteousness, if you know it, just say it along with me, for all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, sadly, that was the end of a lot of our theology growing up. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. But it's true. What the prophet was saying is, look, we can't do this. And any effort of ours to get right standing with God isn't going to be good enough because the standard is perfection and we're not going to make it. 
And then you see in Isaiah 53, but there's a hope. That thread is woven all through the story. All of us, Isaiah said, like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then you see this woven through the prophets, then into the story and the gospels of Jesus and all throughout the New Testament, anchored in a text like this, where it says, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And if it makes you nervous that it says you might become that, and that sounds like religion again, might here doesn't imply uncertainty. It, it implies a fundamental change. So I went and looked the word up because that word always is a stumbling block for somebody who says, well, I don't know. It says I might become the righteousness of, of God. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to become the righteousness of God. And so it doesn't feel like I'm getting that certainty that you're giving me. So I looked up this word might. It's the word genomi. And underneath this word, it means a fundamental change in nature. In other words, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we would have a fundamental change in nature, meaning we are now the righteousness of God in Christ. We have right standing with God in Christ. The way you sum it up, religion, one word, do. The way you sum up the gospel, one word, done. You're either gonna do more and hope it's enough or realize that Jesus did it all and it is already finished and it is already done. It's the difference of living life and running free or living life on the treadmill of religion, hoping somehow that you're gonna make it into the presence of God. You know anybody like that or you ever been there? You get on that baby and you're like, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I gotta go somewhere because there's something inside of me that says there's something outside of me that I gotta figure out because there, I was made for something bigger than me. And we know it. I was made to search and to reach. One translation says to grope, like kind of in the dark, like I know there's something. But then what Paul said was, and to find him. You know why? Because he's not far from you. Yeah. Well, so you don't have to have a two mile long arm to, to reach for him. You can just reach right there because he's not far from you because in him, we live and move and have our being. That's everybody on planet earth and everybody in this room right now. And what that means is there is probably something inside of you that says, I want to make sure I do enough. But the trouble with religion is you don't ever know. Was it good enough? Did I do enough? Did I make up for enough? And so since we don't know, you know what we do? We do the same thing you do when you're at the gym. You just find somebody else on the treadmill who's not doing as good as you. <laughs> and you say, God, does it count that I'm doing better than him? And he says, no. No, the, the way you get right standing with me is not by doing better than him. It's by being perfect. You're like, oh, okay, better get the incline up a little bit. So I got to make sure when it's all said and done, 
that I've done enough. And this is just a, this is a seedbed, if you want to say what it really is, of self-righteousness. Especially the part where you're looking over at that other person going, uh-huh, oh, you going up there? Okay, I'm going up here. Now, this is old school. I know some of you don't understand what this is because it doesn't have a, a monitor and I'm not walking through the Swiss Alps right now. I'm just really right here on the treadmill. We were in Cape Town and um, on Passion World Tour and I was in a lot better shape than I'm in now and it was a lot of years ago. And I was biking a lot and so I'd gone down to the fitness center at our hotel and I was on the bike. And I'd already committed, I'm going to ride hard for a certain amount of time and be done. And so I was about five minutes from being done. And one of the guys on tour with us who, one of our musicians, George Mondera, came in. And I was the only one in there. So he comes in and he's like, hey man, how you doing? I'm like, great, how you doing? Good. I'm going to do a little run. I'm like, great, I'm on the bike. He gets on the treadmill, literally, it is really over there, pumps it up to like insane speed. And starts like running, like sprinting. And I'm like, oh man. So I like crank it down a notch and put my head down and start turning out, you know, that I wanted to whine, you know, I wanted wanted to hear that. And so I'm like, okay, I just passed my time. Hmm. I can go longer. I go about 10 minutes more. He's just running. And I'm like, I am not getting off this bike till you get off that treadmill if I have to fall over off this bike. And so I'm not kidding. Like 30 plus minutes go by. I'm dying. And finally he gets off the thing. And I'm like, praise God. See you later, bro. I mean, the door doesn't even shut at the fitness center before I am off that bike and I'm like walking like back up to my room and can't even breathe. Can't sit down the next day. And I didn't say anything to him about it because I wanted him to think that I was a stud and even though he was half my age that I just really crushed him in the workout. So we never talked about it. But two years later, no kidding, true story. We're sitting around somewhere in the world and I'm like, hey, you remember we were in Cape Town? I'm legitimately getting tired now. (laughs) And um, he said, yeah, man, you killed me on that thing. I came down there to run one mile, like real quick. (laughs) And I got in there and I looked over and I said, the dude's like old (laughs) and I'm not getting off this treadmill until he gets off that bicycle. And I just kept running. And unfortunately, I'd started too fast and I didn't want to slow it down because that would have looked like weakness. And so I just kept running at that speed. Even though I was just going to run one mile at that speed, I'd run about five miles. And I said, I'm out of here. I said, bro, the second you stepped out the door, I fell on the floor. That's what religion does to you. You get real busy looking at other people. You get real busy looking for somebody that you're ahead of. And that's not hard to do in our world. You get real busy looking for somebody that you can say to God, I know I wasn't everything I was supposed to be, but I sure wasn't that. 
But here's the thing. That's not what God requires of you. He said, your righteousness has got to exceed the most religious person in the crowd. How are you going to do that? And how are you going to know it's enough? Because this thing is all about do. And that's why when Jesus entered this world alive through virgin birth, sinless when he arrived at the cross, willing to exchange his innocent life for yours, and then crushed under the ultimate blow of sin, which is death. When he got to that moment, he didn't say with his last breath, I hope I've done enough. He did not say with his last breath, I hope it was good enough. He didn't say with his last breath, I tried my hardest and I was way better than these two guys. No, when he got to the end and he exchanged his life for you, he made the greatest statement of all time. He said, it is finished. treadmill is over. Which is interesting is that there is a benefit to getting on a treadmill, no doubt. You lose weight, you get in shape, your cardio is better. You're probably thinking more clearly. But interestingly, when you get off the treadmill, you're right where you were when you got on the treadmill. And yeah, you did some work, but did it give you certainty of right standing with God? This is a story of do. And Jesus has given you and me a story of done. It is anchored in our last text. It's found in Romans 3. Another text that we shortchanged a little bit in some of the circles that we grew up in, those of us who grew up in church, because Paul really gets at the heart of what we're saying, and he makes it as clear as he can. Because your question should be today, if I can't get right standing with God on my own, but Jesus is coming to make right standing a possibility for me, how do I get that? How does that happen? Like, I want that, Louis. I, I, I'm, I'm right on the edge of my seat today saying, I'm ready to get off the treadmill of religion. I'm ready to cash out of self-righteousness. And I'm ready to step into this certainty of knowing that I have right standing with God. And from that point, I can go and live my life for Him. And Paul answers that question and he wraps it all up, beginning in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced 
and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight, there's our word, righteous, by observing the law. Rather, here comes the bad news, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The Ten Commandments were not your pathway to right standing with God. They were God helping you see that you couldn't even do that. And so Paul goes on to shift into the good news. But now, a righteousness, a right standing with God from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, there's your key word, from God, not from us, but from God, comes, here's how you get it, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Comma, no period there. We wanted to park that baby uh, for so many years. For all of sinning come short of the glory of God. The end, thanks for coming today. No, yes, we've all sinned. And yes, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But there's a big comma in our story. The glorious comma that is in our story followed by these words and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There is, I'm telling you, a right standing with God that has now arrived. It did not come from earth to heaven. It came from heaven to earth. It was not man-centric. It was God-centric. It wasn't man's doing. It was all God's doing. It wasn't man boasting about man's ability. It was God boasting about God's ability. A righteousness has arrived on the scene. It has come from God. It is apart from the treadmill. And how do you get it? You get it by faith in Jesus Christ to every single person who believes in him. Oh, I believe in Jesus. He was a good guy. I'm sure he was. And I believe in him. No, not that kind of belief. The kind of belief that says, when he said it is finished, it was done. And now because of his good work, I have right standing with God. How can you ever get over it? So a few takeaways. We've been putting some at the end of these talks just so someone can have a Holy Spirit moment that can go on the refrigerator or mirror or on your desk, on a page in your journal that you can just breathe it in over time. A few takeaways from today. If this is true, that you have taken that step, which I don't know if you have, from my righteousness, working itself out into I hope it's good enough or kind of just getting sidetracked into I know God's gonna let me in because he knows I have a good heart. But if you have moved from self-righteousness to God-righteousness, these things are true about you. 
Number one, when I couldn't do enough to save myself, Jesus did enough to save me. Amen? If one of these is for you, just give a little amen. Number two, I don't work for God's love, but I work because I am already fully loved by Him. Number three, spiritual rituals can improve my quality of life. Please do not think today this talk is about not reading your Bible, about not praying, about not fasting, about not working out your salvation, about not being connected to local church and not serving and giving. It's not that message. But you got to understand, spiritual rituals can improve my quality of life, but only my Savior can satisfy my soul. Number four, and this is a mind-blowing, I am a friend of God. We talked last week about how we're sons and daughters and we know that we can call God Almighty Father. But you know what Jesus said? He said, hey, I don't call you servants anymore because servants don't know what their master's doing. I call you friends. I'm pretty sure that young lady on the back of that motorcycle wasn't thinking she was gonna become friends with that God. Christ has called us the friends of God. I'm bummed I don't have any friends. You got one friend. Number five, the enemy can no longer condemn in me what God has already condemned and crucified on the cross. Number six, I love this. Church needs more of this. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I need not compare myself against others to improve my standing with God. Smattering of quiet applause. You know, the truth is, there's still a lot of treadmills in the Christian church. Because the enemy, he doesn't fold quickly. And then lastly, because of this amazing standing that has come from God, I desire to be a carrier of grace, not a courier of guilt. In other words, I don't see my main ministry as giving you a guilt trip. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit take care of convicting your heart. Oh, I'm not going to let go of standard of truth. I'm not going to waver on the Word of God. I'm just going to try to become a carrier of grace and not someone who's got my treadmill all at the right pace and just dispensing guilt every which way I can to everybody else in my view. These are the truths of you and me because of the finished work of Jesus. It is finished and it is done. Religion 
has got to get off the mic. <laughs> if you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.